answer all those up, Swindon fans. But you're not there yet. Welcome to episode 54 of Together, a Brighton Hove Albion podcast. Uh, international break, all up and running. Um, so this week we have uh, a roundtable discussion. Um, the last time you heard these three voices together was uh, on May the 18th, I believe, uh, towards the end of last season, uh, uh, end of season recap. It's myself, uh, it's Russ and Amir, also known as Mile High Seagulls and Roadhog Haddock on Twitter. Um, we take a look at the first couple of games. Obviously, we're eight games in now, so we are definitely getting to a point in time where you can look at the table and things are starting to shake themselves up a little bit. Uh, and we start getting a feel for who is going to be where um, for the rest of the season. And we take a look at some of the other uh, bigger issues in football today, uh, in sports today. Um, it's definitely a more more sensitive topic than we normally hit um so enjoy uh and you know if you have any thoughts feelings concerns reach out to me um if you have any uh passion for being on the show yourself uh in the next international break definitely let me know uh we'd love to have any voice we can on here just to you know diversify the opinion pool um one more thing uh, just to kind of update you on the state of my tweet I sent out a couple of days ago asking about advertisements. Um, you probably have noticed if you listen to the intro that this is no longer a Big Heads Media podcast. Um, we've decided to go our separate ways. Uh, I am just over a year into this uh, hobby slash adventure um, and I don't feel like this is a podcast that is ready to air advertisements right now. Um, a, it's only 30 minutes every week. Um, and B, uh, this this podcast is a fa- fan show, right? It's by a fan for the fans. Um, and I don't know about you, but I, I hate advertisements. So until somebody comes up with a briefcase of money, uh, they will not be aired on my show. So as I was saying, enjoy the call. Um, it's a good one. It's a long one, but it's the international break, so anything to fill the void, right? <laughs> Enjoy. We're eight games in, so we are getting close to the point in which we can look at the league table and say it's starting to shake itself out. Uh, for the top spot, I think it definitely already is. <laughs> and for a couple of them at the bottom, uh, same, Watford in particular. But I think I'll start with Amir. Um, what are your thoughts on the opening eight games of the season? Thoughts, feelings, concerns on all things Albion? Yeah, I mean, um, obviously we got off to a uh, a banging start, you know, getting that 3-0 victory at Vicarage Road. And um, at the time, you know, we all thought that, I mean, any road wins a huge win in the Premier League. But at the time, that was a really big win because, you know, Watford had a great year last year. But they're down. It's all right. I'm still taking that those three points. Um it's been up and down for me. I mean, like, I, you know, obviously we all felt that 
we really let some games go um, that we that we should have took three points in. You know, Newcastle away and uh, West Ham at home, and I st- I I mean, obviously this is all hearsay, but um, I really think if Andoni doesn't get that red card against Southampton, we were playing so well. If you guys remember up to that point, like mm. we felt like the goal was coming. So that was that one still sings. I'm over it, but it still sucks. But um, obviously that you know the most recent win was was great and. For me, like the biggest take-home message that I've been really happy with 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 Potter and the team's performance is um, is the possession. And, and I know Josh, you've talked about this a lot in several of the episodes. Is I mean, we're we're getting like you know 47, 48 possession and against top six sides against Chelsea away, Tottenham at home, um, and then I mean, I know Newcastle isn't the greatest team, but I, I believe we were in the 70s, right, in possession uh, away. That's amazing. I mean, that didn't happen last year, you know. Um, so that that's what gives me hope that the the results are going to come because we're we're controlling the tempo of a lot of games, and that's something that um, you guys have been following the team far longer than me. I can only go off last year, but that was not the case. <laughs> I think we had some games that in the twenties against the top six sides last year. Um, but yeah, it's a big thing. And the last thing I wanted to mention, I know I brought this up to Josh in a in a WhatsApp chat that I thought was very interesting. I actually wanted to get Russ's thoughts on it too. Uh, was uh, Matty Ryan was quoted in a. Um, an interview with Naylor in the athletic talking about Potter and his philosophy. And his exact quote was the boys have bought in from day one as to what Graham is trying to do with the new philosophy. No doubt moving forward. It's the way to go. If anyone wants to shy away from the philosophy then they will quickly be out of the team. And I read that and I'm like, Whoa, I mean, what, what was that? I, I mean that I, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I read that and I'm like, well, does, does that explain all the departures? I think it does. So I'll, I'll leave it mm. with that and get your guys' thoughts on that. Yeah, well, I, th- I think it does completely explain, doesn't it? I mean, it's great that he's he's such an all-encompassing, harmony-orientated guy who wants to get everybody on board, everybody together. And it's it's good that he's been so positive and been able to inspire them so quickly and so well in terms of at least the way we've been playing, if not the results, obviously, have been a bit mixed. But that's interesting, that fact about the cutting people out of it as well. Anyone that's not playing ball, so to speak, is just straight out of the equation. I think that's ruthless in a good way I think it's the way you've got to run a club and probably not just football clubs it probably goes beyond that into certain elements of management in general but um I buy into it completely I think it's the way it should be it's probably what Pep Guardiola does at Man City Jurgen Klopp does at Liverpool Uh, I think obviously because they're more renowned names people will automatically assume themselves to want to do you know, to join that project and do what what those managers want. Potter being less well-known, maybe the likes of Andoni and Lucadia were still half-hearted about it. And if that's the case, they paid the price because obviously uh, those are the guys that uh, are being referred to, aren't they, for definite? Um, yeah. I, I was going to say on the, on the possession thing, that's interesting because I was going to bring that subject up myself, actually. Um, it's interesting that under Hewton, Generally, when we had less possession, we tended to get better results. Um, <laughs> and when we had more possession, we always lost. <laughs> so I think almost <laughs> without exception, I, I haven't got the stats to check, check every detail, but I think we've lost either all or nearly all of the games when we had more possession in, game, in games under Hewton. So it's a fascinating change that Potter's not only changed the way we play, but that um, there's obviously... At the moment, it's early days as a mix of results, but you can see that in the, I think in the future, we're going to be more successful than not um, playing in that fashion. Um, so it's a, it's a radical change all around, isn't it? 
Yeah, I think the the big possession story really is the is the stat for you. Last season we averaged forty one percent possession under Chris mm. Hutton. This year we are averaging a fifty three point two percent possession wow. under Potter. So, and you've got to remember we've we have played Chelsea, Tottenham, Manchester City, uh, and a, you know, and we have been away at a couple of big teams too. So that's that's a huge difference in the way that we're talking about the change here isn't just like we were saying before like it's not um like moving from Hutton to Pulis or something like that we've we've gone like total 180 and Russ I'm sure you'll agree that um when we keep the ball a lot it it we have seen it in the past with Gus um and to some extent Oscar Garcia too but even then you you wondered if they could really translate that into the Premier League but it looks like Potter is doing it right now so I'm definitely pleasantly surprised with it yeah, I mean, I, I think it's the best of both worlds. I think what Poyet did, did when he um, joined us is transformed us back into a footballing side that we haven't been for quite a long time. And obviously the possession side of things, the fact we dominated the, the tactics of a game really strongly and tended to get results was great. What was the problem with Poyet was that um, we didn't tend to get people in the box. We didn't tend to score many goals. So even though it was entertaining in one sense, it wasn't in another. Whereas with Potter, not only is he performing this on a, a better level than Poyet was in a position to do when he was with us, um, but he's doing it to a to a more entertaining and successful level, I think, comparatively at least, given the division we're in um, so far. And I think that's that's pretty interesting. Also with the possession, I mean, Spurs, I think, was 46% possession, which was interesting. It's the only time... Apart from the City game, I think, where we haven't had um, at least um, the, the bulk of the possession. And it's only against those two big sides where we didn't. And I mean, getting 46%, I think it was against City as well, was actually one of the most eye, eye-catching stats in general this season Absolutely. for anyone. Yeah. It's been incredible. Well, most teams get about 20% if they're lucky. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and given that we lost 4-0 as well, it's um, uh, which was, uh, I think, not a fair reflection of the game really overall. But the, the fact we lost 4-0 but had 46% possession is, um, yeah, is, is, is one of the eye-catching stats of the season for me. Yeah, I mean, even when we played Southampton and we were down to 10 men, we uh, we spent an hour of them with 10, obviously, and we still ended up with just over 50% possession. Uh, yeah. So he definitely has a way of playing things. So I guess this is probably going to be uh, not really too much of a contentious point then. Are you all still happy with Potter at the helm? There has been whispers over the last couple of weeks of the Potter out brigade starting to coalesce. Are we all uh, Are we all happy right now? Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> I, um, I mean, I'll admit it. There were there were times where I got really frustrated, like you know, after I think it was the back to back games of you know, Burnley, West Ham, Newcastle, and I, I was I was really frustrated because it and well, any sport, anytime you you're, you're supporting a team where you where your team is playing way better than the other team and they're not getting the results, it's extremely frustrating. Um, now I never went as far as saying I wanted them out, but I definitely had my frustrations. Um, but you know, again, once I sit back and, uh, Josh has talked me off the ledge a lot, so I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but at the end of the day, you guys are right. I mean, the team's playing better. I mean, we're playing, I mean, shoot, we're playing young guys. I mean, two really young guys and still getting results. I mean, um, it's a project, uh, you know, obviously I think we all knew this year, um, you know, we weren't going to be a top 10 side. We, We knew that we'd be kind of. You know, I was hoping we wouldn't be in the battle to, to for relegation, but you know we're we're in there right now, and that's all right. Um, 
but at the end of the day, I think we've been competitive. I mean, I know the city game was four nil, but as Russ said, we still had 46% possession. So we've been competitive in every game. Um, and like now when I look at every game, like for example, we, you know, we got Villa coming up, we got Everton at home. I mean, I feel like we can win, we can win every game. I'm, I'm not like, I'm not, Oh, this is a loss. or That's a loss. You know, the competitive spirit on the team is great. Um, obviously the injury bugs have killed us. Um, hopefully this international break has healed us a little bit. I know, uh, some of our players didn't go out on international duty, so that's good. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm really optimistic. Um, I was really bummed as I told you guys that we had an international break this weekend because I wanted this momentum to roll because it was just so sweet last weekend. And, you know, as you all know, um, bummer, there's no games today, but it's all right. You know, hopefully, uh, next week, uh, we continue. Hmm. Yeah, well, I noticed, Amir, that there was a, a touch of the uh, Josh neurosis kicking in there with those two oh. games you were talking about oh. um, on the WhatsApp group. You were really, yeah, you were really on a downer, weren't you? <laughs> I was when, when I think it was the when the West when the West when West Ham equalized. I was just like, oh, because I was scared it was coming, but I was like, no, 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 we're okay, we got this. Like you know, and then oh, I was just that one was that was the my low point of my Albion season this year. I'll admit it to you guys was that. West Ham was the West, yeah, the West Ham equalizer was my low point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there'll be there'll be plenty of low points supporting supporting a football team. It's uh, <laughs> it's pretty much the part of the course. So welcome to the pain. Uh, is all I can say. I know you've been with us for a bit now, but uh, you know the, the, the pain continues, doesn't it? <laughs> Intermittently. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think um, I do think in terms of people calling for Potter to go. I mean, that's obviously whoever those those people are are what I would call the bedwetters, where they just completely panic over nothing. And um, yeah, the results weren't perfect. Yeah, you can argue about getting rid of personnel and leaving it short. And obviously, that was a little bit anxiety-inducing, admittedly, because of the numbers. And then obviously, sod's law, of course you get injuries as soon as you do that. Um, but it's worked out reasonably well so far, despite that. I mean, the fact he's brought through youngsters and managed to just integrate them willy-nilly, just as if there's no no problem at all, has, has just filled the void um, that we would have had. And um, I think we just step on from there, which is, which is great. I mean, I was 100% behind the Potter appointment, as you know. I think I'm probably now, having had a few games in, I'm probably around about 100% behind Potter now. Yeah. <laughs> so haven't haven't waned at all, uh, so to speak. Yep, I'm um, I'm pretty much on the exact same boat. Uh, as you all know, I've been definitely on his side all the way through. Um, in the WhatsApp chat and on the podcast, I have been definitely very defensive over him. I think he's still the right choice. I think he's the right project manager that uh, Bloom has clearly picked. Um, when he's building out this, like assembling this team of, you know, Barber, Ashworth, Potter, whatever you think of them, um, they clearly are all pulling in the same direction, which is really nice because God knows we've known a couple of managers in the past that have not been quite pulling in the same direction, Gus Poyet. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's nice to have uh, an entire group of elite kind of people in their field that are all going in the same direction. Um, I don't think we've ever had it in at least since I've been alive. Um, so it's nice to see. Uh, looking at the season on a slightly more micro scale, uh, what player, what players, or player has really stood out to you so far this season? Um, well, for me, um, I guess the, the the one you've got to mention, who right from the off has sort of stood out and been a bit of a surprise, has been Dan Byrne. Um, he's just been played not in his particular. Um, position, a traditional position he would have liked to have played, um, but he's embraced it. He's he's played 
sort of like a, a variation of roles that's involved in playing left side of defence or even as a left wing back, I think, at one point. Um, so I think the fact he's stepped in, stepped on, being relaxed and taken to it like a duck to water at Premier League level, having been in, out in the cold last season, has, has certainly put him up there amongst them. Um, I think Alzate already is is really impressing, so if you wanted another name in there. And um, you've, you've got the reliable others as well. Of course, people have stepped on, like um, Proper and Stevens. And you've got people like Gross who have kind of clicked back into gear in the last couple of weeks. They're all done well. But I think, yeah, Bern or Alzate, I guess, are the standouts, just purely because of the, the rise to fame, shall we say, the rise to prominence. Yeah, that's. I would say that's pretty fair. But I mean, Dan Byrne, especially that that opening couple of games, everyone was including me, and I think everybody really was just like, "Who the hell? Like, where the hell did this guy come from? Why wasn't he? Why wasn't he here last year? Why? What? What? Um, how is he playing for a you know a Route One Wigan side and not getting any kind of game time here when he's so good on the ball? Uh, uh, Amir, what do you think? Yeah, honestly, I, I thought about this. Uh... For the last couple of days, I was like, oh, I'm like, who's you know who, who's been my biggest surprise and my player of the of the year so far? And I'm um, obviously, I mean, saying Dan Byrne, you're not wrong. I mean, I, holy hell, where did he come from, and and how good has he been for us? Um, he's been great. Obviously, our you know Connolly. I mean, he's only st- you know had very little playing time, but I mean, I, I was amazed at what he did against Tottenham. I didn't know, I, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> Um, I thought Alzate has been. It's just nice because like we we just we've just had so much production from so many different players this year, so many new players, I should say, that that's really good to see because you know we just got a new manager, so now you're seeing all these guys that he brought it, not necessarily he brought in because Connolly and Alzate were already there before Potter got there, but brought to the the first team. Um, so that's really a really cool thing to see for us fans because you know that that that's our future, um, and you know never never that I think uh, you know when. Never did I think that Byrne or Webster would ever replace Duffy, but now it's like, oh, there's life after Duffy. I mean, I'm not saying we don't need him, but I didn't. I wouldn't have said that last year, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's all been it's all been a pleasant surprise. I mean, I, I love it. I mean, I, I hope they're all here to stay for the long term. Um, and yeah, like what Josh was saying, what the hell was he doing in those lower leagues, and how did no one not notice? I mean, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, there's no way I didn't watch him last year, but there's no way Byrne was bad last year. I mean, I'm sure you guys saw some of his games, but. That's crazy, and I'm I, I'm glad he's here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Honestly, I didn't see much of Dan Burner all last year. Yeah, no, same, same here. I don't, couldn't really tell you much. I knew I knew he'd been playing some games, but couldn't have told you the details of how he was playing or or what formation he was playing in. I don't wouldn't have known. But um, certainly, if you look at um, motivational managers, and Potter clearly is one of those, we've compared them. Uh, I mentioned earlier about Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp, and you can also mention other managers like Nuno at Wolves and I think to a large degree Eddie Howe at Birmingham who I, at Bournemouth sorry who I think is um is probably the, the nearest equivalent in some senses to Potter I think all those guys are highly motivational they get everybody on side and they're able to improve it seems any kind of player whether it's a Raheem Sterling or it's a, a Foden coming through in stages here and there at Man City whether it's at Liverpool where play people like Henderson and obviously Trent Alexander-Arnold have come on leaps and bounds and even the peripheral players have managed to excel when they've had a chance to play um, you look at Bournemouth they've brought a number of players in from the championship it is a big and difficult transition to jump up into the Premier League. But he seems to have seamlessly allowed 
virtually all of those players to do so. And even they, they took our, our reject centre-backs and Elphick <laughs> and Cook and went flying into the Premier League with record winning margins. I think they had an 8-0 at one point. Um, they still went on a cup run in their promotion season and then just carried on going where they left off when they got in the Prem. And I mean, all of that's achieved with, in, in Bournemouth's case, and to some degree Wolves, um, with limited resources. Um, it shows what can be done. And I feel really excited with Potter because I think he's in that category as well. You look at, as I said, the youth players he's brought in, Connolly, who's become the new the new eye-catcher, um, Alzate, uh, people like Byrne that have played out of position and still done well, people that have previously underperformed or been seen to underperform have stepped on. Um, all across the board, he's having an effect on that team. And on that basis, I think he's in that category of managers who are highly motivational and highly inspirational. And, um, yeah, it, it's been fantastic so far in terms of the way we've played and the transformative um, factor that you can see there. Um, it's a case of obviously turning it into results more, but I think we're well on the way, which is great. And loads of good youth players sitting in the ranks as well coming through um, who are on loan and in the 23s at the moment. Yeah, I think we're I think we're seeing that uh, right now in real time with Sheffield United too. When you look at a lot of their players, um, they you know they're not typically Premier League players, but they're all performing at a much higher level than you'd expect under. Uh, you know, an inspirational manager and Huddersfield was the same the year they survived. Nobody would have thought they would have survived, but uh, the, the like the belief in Wagner and it waned pretty quickly. And we see that a lot, that classic second season syndrome with a lot of teams that we almost succumbed to last year. Yeah. Um, but it was luckily, you know, we were one of the ones that scraped by. But I think my big standout is Pascal Gross. Um, he has rebounded from last season with an absolute unbelievable amount of technique and class uh you thought well at least i thought um that there was no way he was going to be able to fit in the potter system when you saw it at the beginning because it was just so fast and relied on so much work um and it's not that gross can't do the work but he's just not quick at all <laughs> he's so slow uh pace wise and yet he <laughs> has just gone from strength to strength and i would say that he's probably performing better than he ever did under hewton even in its first season now uh like the key passes the assists like the positions he's taken up now i don't even know what kind of position that is on a football field anymore he just seems to have free reign to just do what he wants in the final third and it's working wonders i mean he the goal we scored at the beginning against spurs it was his cross wasn't it on that yeah. left hand side it was and yeah. it's it's like okay i didn't know that gross was playing as left winger today <laughs> <laughs> it just he just seems to go wherever he wants do what do whatever he wants and he turns most things into gold so for me he's been the one that's really stood out uh, as opposed to excuse me the dogs are going wild <laughs> Um, he's he's definitely one that stood out above. Um, obviously, Dan Byrne is definitely on the list. Alzate and Connolly obviously get there too. Uh, but I was figuring one of you were going to say a couple of those, so I thought I'd go with the next one. <laughs> um, and that's definitely Pascal Gross. Uh, on the other side, um, there are obviously players that we thought may well kick on this season that haven't. Um, which of those have stood out to you? Uh, for me, I mean, I I thought about this as well, and. I I think you know I I was assuming or thinking that you guys would pick people that have played this year, but for me the you know biggest disappointments have been you know Bernardo Balogun and Jahanbach. I mean I think Bernardo's only started once. I believe it was was it Man City away. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, yep. Balogun 
I don't even think he's played Premier League. I think the only Carabao Cup game, I think, yeah. And obviously, Johan Bash hasn't played either in the Premier League. So those three, I think, are it's disappointing because you know there was a time when we were really high on on them. Um, I'm a, I was I was a little surprised because uh, honestly, when the season began, I thought, oh, there's no way Ali Reza makes it. You know, makes it to the opening day. And but then I thought about you know, well, maybe that goes back to what Maddie was saying about players not buying in. And so I don't know what the plan is for him. I would love to know. I don't know what the plan is for Balogun. Sounds like he's on his way out. Um, or Bernardo. So um, I just wanted to bring those guys up just because they're guys that, you know, at one point, a lot of us fans were, were excited about it. Now we're thinking they're gone. So wanted to get your guys' thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, for me, there's no standout disappointments, I guess, to a certain degree. Um, definitely the ones you've mentioned, Amir. Um, but um, I don't know if there's anyone else. I mean, I suppose to to some extent, you could say Duffy because he's not quite adapted as much as others have. I don't think that's, that's probably a little unfair to imply he's been a, an out-and-out disappointment, but I don't think he's quite fitted into the frame as much as others, and that's partly why he's, he's missed out on a couple of games prior to his, his recent injury. But um, overall, yeah, I mean, people like Balogun, I guess, and um, I mean, also to a small degree, maybe you could say Lacardia, because in the I think it was the friendlies and also one of the early games, he, uh, or was it just maybe before the season started, he was looking quite bright and promising, looked like he got second wind, a la Pascal Gross. But, um, but you know, he, he really just, uh, he seems to have just fallen by the wayside and then obviously now been loaned out. But um, yeah, I, mean, I guess th- there's no really big disappointments under Potter, which I suppose in terms of the... Um, the main structure of the team and squad, um, which is maybe testament to him that he's done a good job. But yeah, um, yeah nothing more than that, really, at the moment. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's a bit, a bit of a shame Johan Batch actually hasn't been able to step in because I think, you know, you get a change of manager, it's second wind, um, it's a fresh start and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, he's, I think he still had some sort of an injury, didn't he, at the beginning of the season. But, um, you know, he's not been able to then step on from there. Uh, how much of that is to do with fitting into systems and so on? I don't know, but he, yeah, he hasn't quite really. I thought he might have might have benefited from the change of manager, uh, but not so far. Let's hope he still can. Um, but uh, we'll see. We'll have to see. Yeah, I think it's I think it's definitely a positive that he's here still, uh, especially you know with uh, as Amir said that article by Ryan says a lot for the people that have left. Um, you know, we all heard rumours on the pipeline as to whether. They were disruptive. I mean, we'd heard that from Lacardia for about a year now, <laughs> uh, just about everywhere that he wasn't making effort and, you know, he wasn't getting picked because he was just throwing tantrums. And we saw it on the pitch a couple of times. So uh, I think it says a lot that Ali Razor is still there. Uh, and it's it can only be a good thing that he's putting his head down and working hard. Um, and if there seems to be anybody that can kind of nurture him and show him the way, I think Potter's going to be it. Uh, I think he's definitely a disappointment because I thought he may well fit into that kind of uh, right-hand side forward role that Pascal Gross seems to have taken up. Um, But again, when Gross is in the form he's in, it's kind of tough to oust him. Um, I think uh, for me, probably the biggest disappointment is that, again, we've had... uh, We haven't really signed anyone anyway, but just the lack of competition for Matt Ryan. Uh, I'm a big fan of Matty Ryan anyway. I think he's a fantastic shot stopper. His distribution has gotten better uh, over just over the first eight games, like dramatically better. Um, but I would 
I would like somebody else to be kind of pushing him for a spot because a lot of the teams around us, you see that. Uh, you see that at Bournemouth. Um, you see that at a couple of the other clubs around us that there are there's more than one keeper really pushing for a shot. Um, and we, re- we really don't have that. So if we can... I don't know. It's tough because at the same time, Christian Walton, I, I wouldn't want him sitting behind Ryan when he can get really valuable minutes uh, in the championship. I think he's at Blackburn this year. So it's a bit of a it's a bit of a catch 22. But I would like someone to be able to push him a little harder than they are. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. I don't, I don't think we've quite got that scenario, have we at the moment, which is a shame. And I think it's, all of that sort of thing is a positive problem for Potter to have, isn't it? Um, competition for places and everything. So, yeah, I guess it, it does still feel like as the, the placid alternatives behind the scenes and, and Ryan is very much the, the first choice. Thankfully, as you said, he stepped on um, his distribution, particularly the Spurs game, the most recent match, um, has stepped on immensely. Um, how much of that is to do with um, changes of philosophy in the goalkeeping coaching department and how much of that is just to do with confidence or any other elements, I don't know. But um, he's clearly improved that, and that's great, especially as he hasn't had um, the push that maybe other goalkeepers might have needed. But, uh, yeah, it's a bit of a disappointment we don't have two first-choice goalies, if you see what I mean. Yeah. What do you think, Amir? Yeah, I mean, uh, for me, I mean, Matt is the only, uh, um, the only keeper I've ever known. <laughs> um <laughs> But I mean, to Josh's point, I mean, like when you have other guys that can go to other leagues and like in the championship and get good game experience, I mean, that's obviously better than backing up Maddie and our team. So, yeah, I mean, it's exactly cast too. It's like we want it, but then again, we don't want it. So what do you do? <laughs> hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was going to say my, my other main disappointment for this season actually is points. I'm just looking at the yeah. table at the moment, and we're we're on nine points from eight, which is enough to survive if we can average that over a season. But we really, at this point, I, in my opinion, should have at least six more points from the three games that we drew and should have won. Um, if we Absolutely. had won those games, even assuming just by a single goal, we'd be goal difference or possibly goals scored if we if we managed to beat someone by two goals uh, behind Arsenal in in third. So we'd be fourth in the table, and that's without really fulfilling our potential yet. So I guess that's my other big disappointment. Uh, but I think we can wait, you know, with Champions League can, can come later in the season, <laughs> uh, qualification for that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the points have definitely been the uh, um, biggest frustration because, I mean, I, we're far better than, uh, than nine points. Um, yeah, I mean, that's been a bummer. And, um, but like I Particularly said... Palace have done the opposite. They've got more points than they probably do deserve. They're on 14 at the moment, which is quite cringing, especially as they've not been good in most of their games. Um, that's kind of frustrating. But it's a long season, isn't it? We've got plenty of time to to let uh, natural class rise to the uh, surface and Palace slump to the bottom, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I saw one of my teams to, to go down this year, not not so much because they're a rival, but just given their loss of players and their lack of adding any players in the in the window... Um, so I mean, I'll give credit where credit's due. I I would have never guessed they'd be sitting at fourteen points after eight games. Good for them. Mm. Um, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> yeah, I mean the but, goal difference. They're in sixth. Goal difference off fourth behind Leicester, but and Chelsea, which is that seems mad actually because it, it feels like Leicester and Chelsea have played well this season. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's uh, this early stage. I guess this can happen a lot, can't it? It's eight games in. You know, all sorts of weird. Um, 
quirks of the table can can appear at this stage. Um, Everton in the relegation zone, they've been pretty poor, but I doubt they'll be there at the end of the season. But things like that, really. But um, yeah, we'll we'll see. Hopefully, it can it can work out for the better later on. But um, at the moment, it's frustrating a little bit still. Um, but fourteenth isn't too bad, is it? I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Though I think it's the the points we should have won. Uh, that's the frustrating piece. I I, I read something, um, a stat yesterday, and I don't know who, what research they did or how true it was, but if it is true, um, it's a big one. 72% of Palace's goals have gone through Zaha this wow. year, um, which is more than any other year for him and more than any other player in the Premier League this oh, year. Right. Okay. Um, oh. So if he was if he was to get crocked in any way, shape or form, or if he was to have got on his way and gone off in the summer... Um, I think they'd have been right up shit creek, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> yeah, um, he he is more important than I realised. I haven't seen a lot of Palace this year, so uh, I'm not really sorry for it either. Cause the less I have to watch them, the better. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't think um, I don't think they're a good team if you take him out of the equation. I think they've got either average players, aging players, that kind of thing. I think um, they've got one or two decent players, like um, Milivojevic is a good player, but. Um, Overall, I think without him, they are substantially worse off. And when you've got a star player playing for you, I think if I was a Palace fan, would perish the thought. But if I was, um, I'd be pretty worried about the singularity of their strength. They, they, if I mean, obviously, if as you said, if he gets injured, um, if something random happens to him and he can't play for a few games, uh, also if he were to go in January, which of course is still a possibility, I think for any of those reasons they'd be in trouble. Credit to him. I think he's not obviously not happy. He put a transfer request in, and yet he's he's mocked on and and played well since I think the second or third game of the season. So fair play to him for showing professionalism there. Um, it begrudges me to say, but um, we, but without him, yeah, I think they are one of the poorer teams in this division. Um, it was interesting actually. I listened to a podcast, Totally Football Show, which is a good podcast. It's got James Richardson. If you guys remember the Italian football Italia in the nineties, he's presenting it, and he's a very good host. But they had somebody on there called Emma Saunders, who's a Watford fan, and she obviously their bottom. And, and she was asked, "Who are the three teams you would look to to be potentially worse than you if you wanted to survive?" And probably unsurprisingly, he mentioned she mentioned Norwich, who had just lost five one at home to Villa. She mentioned Southampton, who are only in fourth bottom at the moment. Can you guess who the third one is? They Don't mentioned? say it, Russ. Don't say it. <laughs> so this this perception, it's really <laughs> irritating that there's still this perception that we are one of the weaker options. Um, that she didn't mention Newcastle, for example, who are below us in the table. Villa themselves, okay, maybe because they've just got a 5-1 win, but they're below us in the table. Um, fair enough about Everton, but Sheffield United, they're only goal difference ahead of us, despite having hit the ground running. So it's kind of interesting, but also aggravating how... You, you bring up a good point, Russ, because like a perfect case and example of what you're trying to say is last week's game against uh, Tottenham. Like Here in the States, the NBC Sports coverage, I know Josh watches it too, it's almost like, I mean, all they talked about was Tottenham's meltdown, Tottenham not playing well. It's like, well, what the hell? Mm. We, we, we dominated that game. And then yeah. and we're the one decimated with injuries. Now, now, I know they lost Loris, and that's a huge loss for them, but they still had Harry Kane. They still had Son. You know, they still had a, a lot of their main players. So I think that obviously when you're, uh, you know, a, a team like Brighton, if you will, that's, I know that's going around Twitter, um, you're not going to get the respect until we earn it, right? So, 
Um, that's yeah. all I saw in the coverage here, uh, here in America. I don't know what it, how it is over there across the pond. But, yeah, it was really frustrating as a bright yeah. man, obviously. But I know why they're doing it. It happens in all sports. I mean, in the NFL, when, it, you know, when it, the Patriots lose, it's the Patriots playing bad. It's not the other team that beat them or yeah. whatever, you know. Yeah, no, it is frustrating. Point. and you, you, you do have to put the hard yards in to really get the respect, definitely. I mean, to be fair, actually, I, I have to say for this particular game, um, what you've said about uh, the coverage in the States is normally very true here as well. You guys are both in the States. So I don't know if you would have picked up, but um, the coverage actually was pretty fair about us. It was more praise of us. There was obviously some, um, you know, um, some some interrogation of how bad Spurs were, which is fair enough to get balanced. But it was mainly actually about how well we played. Um, so for once, <laughs> the media was actually pretty complimentary <laughs> and they did give us a fair bit of coverage, including on the podcast and radio stuff I listened to. Um, but you're right that that normally isn't the case. And usually it's it's all about the um, you know the autopsy into why this Spurs team has died today. You know, it's, it's, or whoever it is. And certainly with the Man U games um, over the last couple of years, that was the case, and um, we'll probably have it again in the future. But for once, actually, we did. So to be fair to the media here, we did get uh, the credit we were deserved. And and it's, even though BT Sport covered it as the um, live TV um, broadcaster here, um, they had. Uh, Joe Cole, who's technically a neutral. They had Jermaine Genus, who's obviously an ex-Spurs player. And I think, I can't remember who the other person was, but it has someone else with a Spurs connection. So it could easily have gone the other way. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, normally it is. There's so much Premier League top six obsession, even on the build-up program to the um, that we have over here between 12 and 3 before kickoff. There's a, a thing where there's a load of chat for three hours on Sky Sports. And so much coverage is given to how well or badly the top six or seven clubs are doing. Um, and, you know, we've got 92, well, 91 clubs at the moment in the Premier League and Football League. And they've all got a fairly decent following up to some degree, obviously nowhere near as big as the top sides. But it's a very disproportionate level of coverage for a, a channel that has 24-hour largely football coverage on it you still don't get quite as much coverage that I, I would like. Bearing in mind, I'm supporting a Premier League team. It, but if I was a second, you know, as a League Two or League One supporter, I would get internally frustrated because I can remember what it was like when we were down there. And um, you just, you you virtually get ignored. And then when you do pull off a result, um, you know, it's it's kind of oh, how bad the other team did. Yeah, so, yeah, but there we go. But at least at least they were fair on Saturday last week. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a problem of them living in the past a little bit too. I I I said it on the podcast a couple of times. I when I was invited to start co-hosting that uh, Love Sport radio show, the Brighton Fan Show, 10 p.m. If you ever want to tune in, <laughs> um, yeah. it uh, I had them out on it too. Like a lot of people were giving me stats and records. They they was mentioning like Brighton haven't won in. Uh, like 11 home games now how do you feel about it it's like well actually only two of them have been under Graham Potter um you're you're kind of living in the Hewton era and we've moved on um and nobody else seems to be willing to do that just yet and you know we're eight games in and I think it's probably going to be like after Christmas before people start recognizing the Albion we are now as opposed to the Albion we were last January um Mm. and that's probably the most frustrating piece of it all 
is that you know there are still people in the media and still people uh, fans talking about every time we lose they're jumping on the Chris Hutton sacking and be careful what you wish for Brighton fans and it's like well actually I'm 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 happier with this defeat than I, I would have been when we like scraped out a disgusting one nil win against Huddersfield last year this is this is at least more fun to watch um, I think it's I think it's funny how that perception is still there um, and that you know. We're, we're eight games in and Potter's struggling and Potter's under the under the hot in the hot seat, as the Americans like to call it. Um, and yet Hutton never really had that for two years. Uh, it's funny the way that things can turn so quickly on on these people when they have a perception already in place. And it gets regurgitated, doesn't it? People just just feed off what's already been said before. Uh, it's very lazy. I mean, it's, it's kind of annoying the careful what you wish for thing, because I have quoted that in all sincerity about previous management at other clubs like Charlton with Alan Kerbishley quite a long time back, Harry Redknapp when he was at West Ham. Uh, there's been a number of other cases where people have changed managers and it's not, in my opinion, being the right decision and it has proved to be the case. With the, the Hewton sacking, there's definitely a universal disapproval or at least majority of uh, disapproval of, of him being sacked. So they think to some degree it's unfair and... Um, you know, I don't think it was really a similar case, but people have just jumped into that cliche, which is all the more painful because I've used it myself the other way and had it thrown at me and thought, well, actually, I think this isn't a case of um, being greedy and wanting more than we've got. It's more a case of thinking we actually need to change to preserve our status initially. And um, I think that's so far borne fruit because we're certainly no worse off and um, things are more interesting while we're doing it. Yeah, I think you're spot on. Um, I mean, obviously, Amir, you only really have experience under Hutton. Uh, yeah. You never, you never really experienced like the Poya, the Poya era or anything before that. But I mean, the difference is so big, uh, and you you see it on NBC all the time. They they uh, rustle up stats that are kind of like over the last 365 days, and it's yeah. just so different <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, things have changed a lot. I mean, I mean, next time you come over, we should take you to a lower league game while you're here as well. Just that would be awesome. How, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, the fan culture, the dynamic, all, the, all of that stuff. It's good fun and it's a great day out. But it's also an eye-opener to see how bad <laughs> football can sometimes be. <laughs> And what we've endured for all this time. Oh man, to think hey. back to some of the games. Oh, you wouldn't Russ, believe Russ, it. Russ, as long as you're as long as you're my tour guide, man, I, I'm going wherever you're going. Good man, good man. Always happy to help and host. No worries. So, uh, so let's let's venture into dangerous waters uh, before the end of this podcast. Um, we're on about forty minutes, I think, right now. Uh, let's go to about an hour. Um, so I don't think we're going to have time to do two topics, which I had in line, uh, but we'll do one of them. So there's a, there is definitely um, a rise or um, uptick in racism in sports, um, mm. both on, on the pitch and in the stands, unfortunately. Um, it definitely seems to be rearing its ugly head again. Uh, Albion actually published a story on October the 8th, um, noting that three... Albion fans are facing lengthy bans, uh, potential criminal charges, actually, um, following two separate incidents of racism. Um, and I heard that they also had incidences uh, of racism from fans at an under-23 game, which is beyond me. Um, but 
Where do you uh, stand on that kind of rise? Have you have you witnessed it in person? Have you uh, heard of it, like heard whispers of it uh, when you attend the games at the Amex? And Amir, do you see a similar trend in American sports? Um, where do yeah, you yeah. where do you sit on that? So yeah, no, it's a it, obviously it's a it's a important topic of discussion. Um, personally, myself, I, I I go to a variety of sporting events. I go to about five to eight NBA games a year. I go to about three to four college football games a year. I go to about two to three NFL games a year and occasionally a, a hockey game here in, uh, with the Avalanche. And the biggest difference between, I hate this, racism is racism no matter where it is, but the, big, the biggest difference between I've, what I've noticed in racism in America and racism that's seen in England is I feel like the racism in England is more is coming from like the stands during the game, and and I've been to a lot, and I, I don't see it. I, I I don't see it very much. The big thing here in America, obviously, I mean, you have, I don't know if you guys remember a couple years ago, there was an owner for an NBA team named Donald Sterling. He owned the Los Angeles Clippers, and he made some um, disparaging comments about Magic Johnson, and he ended up having to force to sell the team, which I thought was great. The NBA did that. Um, obviously, the biggest issue here, and I know, Josh, you probably know about it, is the Colin Kaepernick issue. It's a big deal. It's a massive racial divide in America. Um, you have one side that, you know, personally, um, I agree with him. I mean, I think that it's great that he's bringing attention to police brutality uh, against African-Americans in America. It's a huge problem. All the videos you see on YouTube prove it. Um, the biggest misconception here is, you know, you have your people that don't like him because they think he's disrespecting our national anthem. But that's the exact opposite of what he's doing. And in fact, his whole kneeling thing started from a veteran uh, telling him that, you know, instead of sitting on the bench, so they, he told them, you know, why don't you just take a knee instead? Um, and, you know, and so you have people like me who think he's not disrespecting the country. If anything, I think he's making it look good because that's, that's his right as an American to protest because that's his platform. And and then you have the people who are anti-Kaepernick who think that athletes should not be using their platform for political, racial, or any type of reason. But I disagree. I, I, I think that athletes are um, just as powerful as, shoot, even more powerful than politicians sometimes. And I think they should use their voice for good if they can. Um, but it's a big issue here. It's a hot topic. People get very upset talking about it. Um, it's unfortunate. What happens in England, I know, you know, I, I hate to hear it. You know, it's, there's no place in the game for it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's unfortunately, I think it's something that will never resolve in our lifetimes, unfortunately. Um, hopefully it starts to go away. But I just, you know, without getting too much into American politics, um, I think, you, you know, with, <laughs> with our current president, I hope I don't get any haters on Twitter for this. I'm sorry if I offend anybody. Um, there's been an uptick in racism in America. There's absolutely no denying that. And it's really unfortunate. Um, so I, I don't see it going away anytime soon. Uh, it's sad, but cause you know, obviously we're not born to be a racist. You learn it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really sad to see. And I'm glad that clubs like, like the Albion, I mean, honestly, I think it, you know, if any of these people, lifetime ban no ifs ands or buts i mean that there shouldn't even be a discussion you know you do that crap you're gone you know uh there's no place in the game for it and i hope they do if they didn't already yeah it's yeah. it's interesting isn't it um the stats i've got here actually and not just stats but just anecdotal evidence um in february 
uh, of, of this year, a West Ham fan allegedly shouted Islamophobic abuse at Salah. Um, Thursday, uh, a Liverpool strike, uh, hang on, targets of Chelsea supporters, um, described him as a bomber, is one of the other ones there. Um, there's been videos online of Arsenal fans racially abusing uh, Koulibaly at Napoli. Um, we obviously had our own incident with Gaetan Bong and Jay Rodriguez, where there was uh, not enough evidence found either way. Um, Millwall had been charged with incidences. Um, Huddersfield Town's Philip Billing has received uh, extreme amounts of racist abuse on social media. We obviously had Peter Beardsley um, recently. Uh, and I just got some interesting numbers here in November. Uh, Kick It Out, the, the anti-discrimination organization, they have reported an 11% rise in reports. Um, they received 520 complaints through its anonymized reporting system. Uh, racism up by 22%, homophobia up by 9%. Um, and obviously, unfortunately, it looks like it's probably going to keep uh, rising this year. But we we obviously have our issues on the pitch with Kaepernick and all of the stuff over in the US. But what, what, what do you think uh, or why do you think that this is coming from the stands more? Um, what What is it that drives them to... You know, I, I've sat in the stands and I have been livid at times. I've seen red um, screaming abuse at the referee. Uh, but, you know, black, white, green, um, <laughs> whoever they are, uh, man, <laughs> woman, um, I've never I've never gone for their looks. I've always just gone for more catch all abuse, <laughs> whether that's right <laughs> or wrong. Um, and I'm, I'm interested to get your thoughts, Russ, uh, especially because you're in the stands most weeks. What? Why do you think that is? Why do you think people are, are doubling down on this kind of abuse as opposed to, you know, the, the standard who ate all the pies le levels? <laughs> That's me, by the way, the pies. But anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I mean, what it, what it comes down to, of course, is, is the wider political sphere, um, social, cultural elements. I think racism has always existed. It probably always will exist, as you said, in our lifetime, certainly. Um it's always been there. I think over a long period of time, there's been a concerted effort to snuff it out of the game, to at least alienate it, to make it antisocial, um, at least in the, should we say, the common public perception. So if anybody is abusive, it's seen as shocking and people will report it. And for a long time, I say, I would say now since the, through the 90s and the noughties, it's been like that. I think it's been seen as antisocial and not the done thing and people would report it but it didn't tend to happen much what i think's happened is politics has changed globally and certainly in the uk um brexit i don't have the b word sorry but the, uh, the whole thing around that i think well actually not brexit but going back in time a little bit um in the run-up to brexit there was a cause for a possible referendum and people getting fed up with europe and being pushed around by other shall we say, white European bodies, so a xenophobic thing rather than a racist thing. But there's been something about people just getting uppity about other people from other cultures or other countries. And I think um, there's always been a suppression of people expressing those racist or xenophobic um, opinions, so they've been kept quiet. But I think what's happened with Brexit um, and David Cameron, who I think is one of the most damaging people in the entire history of our politics, because what he's done is he's he's opened it up and he's empowered people to express um, more than just their feelings, but racism. I, I do think, and I'm, I defy anybody to 
to disagree with this in sincerity, that there is definitely a racist undercurrent and a xenophobic undercurrent to the whole th- the whole issue around Brexit. It's not the only issue. It's not the only reason people voted Leave, and I didn't, as you can probably guess. Um, <laughs> but uh, for those that did, there's a lot of different com- composite elements that are involved in that. But underlying is certainly a irrita- an irritation of other European cultures imposing themselves either through European Parliament or, you know, in terms of uh, of just other cultures coming over and taking advantage of the opportunities of work here and all that sort of stuff. And it's created a divide, an agitation. It's very The, the vote was very binary. It's um, polarised opinion. And I think you've always got a variety of opinions and a variety of sensibilities in the psyche of the human race in general and um, Britain in particular you can say there's there's a whole range of emotions and thoughts and and different opinions some of them are just personalized some of them are people thinking on the bigger picture but all of it ultimately you generally keep to yourself and you keep within certain confines when you're discussing in public and I think what's happened with brexit is it's it's empowered certain people to feel a lot more confident there was there was a rise in Islamophobia and racism and physical, examples of of that um people being abused physically as soon as the brexit vote was announced um so clearly that has permeated into other elements of culture including football and the rise in racism for me has been it's not a surprise in terms of its presence always having been there but in terms of its should we say it's barefaced um presentation it's just people are feeling quite confident to be racist in public now which was clearly not the case before, it was a taboo. And I'm not completely sure it's 100% a taboo anymore, and that is deeply concerning. The rise in racism in, in football is is absolutely un, just, just it's not debatable at all. It's clearly happening, as you've just listed a number of things there. There's a few others as well. Um, I think there was an incident where Harleypool um, fans abused a Dover player in a recent game. I can't remember the other instance, but there's a number of other incidents as well. And from my personal experience at the Albion, um, historically, I can recall two scenarios. I know of two racists who are blatant racists at the Albion. I don't know them personally, but I've seen them. I know who they are. Um, and they, they've been abusive either in conversation with me when I've happened to get into a conversation with them on a train or sitting standing behind me at a game um Zaha was abused by one of them um and that got a little awkward shall we say <laughs> um but those are the only two people I know that are racist we've now had this incident at the Albion where um I think as you said there was two people at the under 21 game v Spurs and then one person at the the, the senior game versus Spurs which is a bit of a weird um combination but uh I'm not quite sure what's going on with that. Hopefully, it's the two of those three people are the ones I already know because I don't want any racists at the Albion. Uh, they're not welcome uh, to the vast majority of people. But it is a deeply worrying trend. Um, I haven't, as I said, experienced it myself in this recent um, wave of incidents, shall we say. Um, so I can't really say I've, it, it's a big problem at the Albion and it may not be a big problem problem at most clubs but clearly there's been a number of issues there and it's not just that it's it's homophobia homophobia is is still a blatantly practiced um activity west ham fans at the recent game at the amex um there was a number of incidents especially around the station where people were singing homophobic stuff um 
I think with particular alacrity for the fact they were in, you know, central Brighton. They wanted to cause offence as much as possible to general passers-by. Uh, so I, I do think there's a, a number of prejudices which are, are being empowered and it's it's terrifying. And certainly I think in the States, from what I can tell, it's the same. Uh, but, so it's, it's a, a strong subject, um, but let's just hope over time it can dissipate. But I do think the current political climate uh, precludes that from happening anytime soon. Yeah, it is. It is a tough thing to talk about. Um, and it's definitely very, 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 very polarizing. Um, but it's something that's important to talk about. You know, we had half an hour of football chat. And if people want to turn off um, when I ask that question, they're more than welcome to as well. Uh, if, if they're either not interested or they just don't want to talk about it themselves or hear people talk about it, they're definitely more than welcome to. Um, but it is something that needs to be talked about because, you know, there's statistics showing that this is becoming a rising problem. And for anybody listening to this show, if you attend a sporting event, particularly football back in England, um, kick it out, actually do have a reporting app now. Uh, they are getting down with the kids. <laughs> uh, you can you can download it on iOS and Android. Um, or if you're, you know, not really wanting to do it in the middle of the game via an app, you can also go to Kick It Out's website. Uh, they have a reporting form to do it. I have no doubt that the 520 reports are not representative of what people are seeing every day. Um, and obviously, if you're at the ground uh, and you can report it to the police or a steward, uh, whether you're in the UK or in the US or anywhere else, um, Anybody listening, I would definitely encourage you to stand up and go and make that conversation happen with the with the authorities, because uh, a it's not worth you uh, potentially getting into a scuffle and getting kicked out of the ground, too, um, by confronting it head on. Um, unless, you know, the mod mentality kicks in and you're just kind of swept along. But if you can report it, please do um, kick it out has the app. Um the US, like I said, there's a whole bunch of problems there too. But if you're at a stadium and you hear it, I definitely recommend you report it um, because it is a problem and it's not going away and it is getting worse. Yeah. So thank you both for your views on that. Yeah, Josh, can I just add one more thing actually I've just thought of? Yeah, which absolutely. Is, it's intriguing that this has happened in this era because obviously what we had is a very tribalistic, uh, macho male environment for football going through well, working class particularly, through history until the Hillsborough disaster and obviously the advent of um, all-seater stadiums and there was a change of dynamic. It became more of a, not so much necessarily a middle-class sport, but it became more of a, a mixed audience that were coming to games. And that culture has continued to prevail. And you do get, I would say, even in the last three, four years, there's been a significant increase in the number of black faces, oriental faces, uh, women in general and children as well who have started to come into the games, um, certainly at the Albion. Part of that is to do with the fact that we've got a bigger stadium in this last decade or so. But in general, you can see that the demographic has changed a lot. So it's a curiosity and a little bit of a depressive element that um, that what is happening is happening now despite those demographic changes um, in this environment that should be a lot more, we say, representative of the full um, population rather than just male working class guys and um, that despite the, the fact it is a bit of a more of a, a complete mixture of demographics that this is still tending to to be on the rise so there's a little bit of a worry as well but you're right about reporting stuff I think in the fashion that you've just mentioned that's the way forward and you just got to keep doing that yeah um, thank you again both of you uh, I think we're going to call it a wrap here because uh, we are <laughs> Just about just before the hour mark. Uh, so 
Thank you again. Well, we for can coming go on. on if you want. I don't <laughs> <know>. <laughs> I'm, I'm having a good um, time. I'm having a great time. <laughs> uh, next international break, uh, I figure we could probably just reconvene uh, or sometime around Christmas. Uh, we could get together and uh, do a kind of mid-season look. Um, yeah. I mean, good. given the fact that there is a winter break now, I guess. Uh, when does that start? Tuesday the 21st of January, I think. Is that the last? Is that when the winter break begins? Somewhere around there, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Not sure. So, but, yeah. I'll pencil in the winter break uh, as our next get together because we'll be well into the season then. Um, and it. we can we can have a chat about where we're sitting. Um, but thanks again for coming on. Um, yeah. And both of you have a good rest of your week uh, yeah, before Villa are away. Yeah, bro, bro, yeah bro, definitely. Josh, yeah, I mean, great to talk. Sorry, go on. Uh, real quick, I just wanted to uh, just make uh, make a statement or say a comment to any of the uh, any other American fans listening. Uh, if there's anyone uh, in Denver, please reach out to me. I watch matches at the British Bulldog. If you're in Chicago, DC, New York, um, we're you know, we're all on Twitter. Uh, yeah, reach out to us. I'll be in Los Angeles for the Villa match. If anyone's there, reach out to me. I'd love to watch the game with any Brighton fans in LA. So, yeah, we're out. We're out there. We're growing. It's amazing. We just had another American uh, at Chicago Seagulls go to his second match against Tottenham. Um, got to meet Matty Ryan, actually. That was pretty cool after the game. But, no, it's great. It's great to see uh, the numbers are growing over here. And, uh, yeah, if anyone's out there, please reach out to, to me. And, um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And let's hope you come over soon, Amir. Let us know I when know. you're coming over. Can't wait uh, to I see know. you, man. Have you got any plans yet? No, because, well, the, I was planning on coming again in March, but last year when we came, I, we promised our daughter that we would take her to Disney World, so we're going to Orlando in March. <laughs> oh. and, I to, I, and I told my wife, the amount of money we're spending there, I could have gone to, like, four Brighton games, so. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, if we don't make it this year, we're 100% coming next year, and you bet anything that I'm going to be hitting you up to get some of that good Indian food and uh, going, to Lu- going to Lewis and... Uh, um, enjoying some matches, and I definitely want to go to a championship game. I really do. I thought I, it's funny you said that because I'm like, I would, I would love to just check it out, or even a League One game, see what it's like. Yeah, or or, or an away game, either either with Albion or somewhere else. Away yeah. games are an interesting dynamic as well, um, <laughs> yeah. to say the least. <laughs> good, yeah. good, lively fun. <laughs> I know, I know. I can't wait. Hopefully, I, one day, hopefully, uh, once uh, Josh moves back, hopefully we can, we'll all be able to watch a game together. That'll be a great time. Fantastic. Yeah, That'd sure. be great. <laughs> but thanks, guys. All right. Thanks, both of you. Uh, again, have a good week, and I will speak to you again soon. Great. Cheers. Bye. All right. Bye. Cheers. Well, the 30 minutes are almost up, Swindon fans. But you're not there yet. Donate races it on goal and donate three.